This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hey, my Let's Keep It Real people. Okay. When I told you who was coming on, you said, Sandy, wouldn't it be great if you were there and walking on the fire? It would, but not right now. Maybe I would prefer the fire than the glass. But before I bring Dave Alvin on, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He was born in, I love the show. No woman would do this. He was born in 1954 at Queen of Angels Hospital in Hollywood, California, to a single mother. He was adopted by his aunt and uncle on his mother's side at the age of five. His adoptive parents told Dave they were not his parents at the age of 11. Later that year, both his adoptive parents started drinking. That is where Dave's life took a hard turn. Dave tried alcohol at the age of 11 By the time he was 14, he was experimenting with hard drugs. Grossly addicted to drugs and alcohol, he joined AA some 20 years later in June 1988. This is when Dave was introduced to the personal development industry. He attended a seminar with Tony Robbins in 1995, where he did his first firework. Dave went on to work with Tony Robbins for just shy of 20 years as Tony's firework captain. Dave retired from the Anthony Robbins companies in 2014 and shortly after Google hired him to put on an event for them. Firework Productions LLC was born in 2014. We'll go through the rest later, Dave. I just want you to know you've had quite the journey, man, quite the journey. But before we get into anything, how are you? I'm fab, man. How are you, Sandy? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm fun. I was telling you, I have a house full of kids, but a bunch of you know, dudes, yeah. hide away and do this with you. So that's good. Yeah, they're playing a little something, some kind of game, which I, you told of, me what it was. I got no clue what that game I don't know. Yeah. All I know is yeah. I need more food. I didn't realize <laughs> You need lots of food if you got that many guys there. Yeah, yeah. a lot of food. All yeah. right, so what's your one word? I ask everybody one word to best describe their past 30 days. And then why'd you pick that word? Gratitude. Okay. Because if, you, if you're not dialing with gratitude, because you know, because fear doesn't exist where gratitude is present, right? Gratitude and, and if you got gratitude at the top of your, at the top of your food chain, then nothing else can occupy that space. So you're, so you're, you're moving and you're headed into a direction with gratitude right here on your forehead. Uh, yeah, it's, it's everything. In fact, I my shirts, if I was to turn around here and show you my shirt, it's got Japanese calligraphy. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and what I put is the two most powerful words on earth. Now, you said one word, but I did combo it with another word, and that's love and gratitude, which are the two most powerful words on the planet. And so we have that running around on the back of our shirts. Now it's in Japanese. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. in fact, I was here in my little town years ago. My son and I were sitting in a, in a place that we favor all the time. We're out having dinner and we were sitting at the bar and my son's having a beer and I'm drinking cranberry. 
juice. And all of a sudden this guy taps on my shoulder and I turn around and it's a little short Japanese guy and his two buddies behind him. And he's pointing at my shirt and he's going, love and gratitude, love and gratitude. <laughs> oh, he knew it. He, he knew, knew it. it. Yeah. He was Japanese yeah. and he's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm up here in North Carolina. I'm up in the Appalachian mountains. It's not like, you know, I'm in Charlotte or Raleigh, yeah. right? I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It was wonderful. It was really cool for him to come up and tap me on the shoulder like that. Yeah. you know. By the way, I don't know if anyone can see this, but I decided to wear this shirt for you because I thought it was fierce and fiery with the time. But what's that up there? I have no clue what it says. Well, you know, it's funny because when I made my shirts, I'm like, now make sure that it says love and gratitude, right? Yeah. Don't don't make sure don't it doesn't say yeah. yeah, make sure it doesn't say kiss my, you know, or yeah. go screw off or whatever. Make sure it's like when you get a tattoo, you know, make sure you got someone there to proofread what you're putting on your body. Uh, so I'm pretty sure it does, but I can't read that, Sandy. I have no idea what that uh, is. I think it, it it I know it's something, but I thought it matched, you know, for what we're it doing. It does. I like it. Yeah, thanks for yeah. doing that. That's cool. All right. We're gonna dive in. I always All ask right. my peeps for some questions they have for you. Sure. Right? Okay. So what do you Bring think it. was the top question they wanted to know? Do you have any uh, idea? Do you yeah, you know, do you get burnt? When you firewalk, do you get burnt? Yeah. That's, um, is that is the top anybody, question? You're right. It is one of the top questions. It was is like it the number one question. Yeah, of course. Not number one. Well. Number one question was, is there anyone that walks and doesn't believe and therefore gets burnt? Um, I, I think if you take what, you know, what energy and what belief system you take to the fire, the fire is going to help correct you. There's no doubt about that. I've seen that. Now, I've walked a couple hundred thousand people over my career. So I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people walk. Um, I'll tell you what, what I've seen in the past where... So typically when we're doing a Robbins event, right, we got thousands of people. We could have anywhere between four or 5,000 people, as many as 12,000 people. Uh, Tony and I set a world record in London in 2005. We walked 12,300 people. So the people that I see that I'll just, let's just call it disrespect the fire. They, they're, they're, in the, they're in the venue and then we bring them outside in a big parking lot area and, and you'll see them. They come running and they're always men. Never seen a woman do this yet. Probably never will. But a guy come running out there, right? And then they kind of come around to where we're doing it and they run up to it and they start screaming at it, right? Because when you do a big firewalk, what you do is you build a big fire over in the corner. Okay. And so that, that pit may be 30, 40 feet wide, 70, 80 feet long. Just depends on how many people we got. That burns all day. It renders at the end of the night. So it, we're, we're looking at doing the firewalk after midnight. So what we do is we take wheelbarrows and we fill the, coal, the wheelbarrows with coals. Then we bring that in and we stage that wheelbarrow in between two lanes of sod, right? We call it a fire lane. And that, that lane is three feet wide, oh, maybe you know 18 feet long. And then we take a flathead shovel and we sprinkle the coals on top of that fire lane. And that's what they walk on. Well, these guys come out and they're, they come running up to it. And they're screaming at it and they're yelling at it and they're saying shit like, you know, I own you, man. I, you're not going to, you know, and I'm it. like, and I'm going, oh, don't do that. I would not do that if I were you. And sure enough, Sandy, they, it's their time to walk, right? We let them go and they get maybe the, the second or third step and poo, off they go. They jump off that lane. So does that answer 
I mean, you know, it's what's interesting <laughs> is that does answer it. That's an ego, right? You go screaming out there like you own it and that, you know, you're going to conquer. This isn't about conquering the fire. This is about becoming one with the fire mm. and trusting it and believing it and loving it and let it teach you the lesson because you're not going to cut a deal with it. You're not going to negotiate with it. That's not going to happen. You and me, let's work. Yeah, let's work a deal, man. Come on. What can we do here? Um <laughs> You know, if you really want to get a, a visual on it, uh, go Google Oprah's Firewalk. That was in, 10, in 2010 at LA Convention Center. You'll see firsthand what it looks like and how, how people react. Because yeah. prior to the Firewalk, she's losing it. She is absolutely losing it. And then there's a moment where Tony kind of gets her back to, you know, center where he says, look, Oprah, what's the worst that could happen here? Burn your feet off and die? Come on. I'm not going to let you get hurt. And she kind of goes, okay, that makes sense. And yeah. then he puts her in a power move and where you, where it's like your physiology is really strong. Uh, think MMA fighter when they get ready to go into the ring, right? They're preparing yeah. mentally and physically to go into the ring. Well, that's what he's doing. He's preparing her mentally and physically to walk on the fire. And he does. And then you see her go, poo, and she's going, yes. And she gets to the end and she stops and she stops, starts celebrating. She Well, she's celebrating like a kidney gardener. She's literally jumping up and down. She's like, oh, my gosh, look what I've done. This is really cool. It's awesome. Well, she leaves that area and the cameras go with her. And she goes over and she makes one of the biggest business decisions of her life. Literally right there within seconds of firewalking. She creates what's called the next chapter. And that's pretty typical. That happens a lot. In fact, I just made a video today. Uh, we do a lot of business with the EO organization. I'm guessing probably... Uh, your audience knows who the entrepreneurs organization is. Mm -hmm. And we did like five gigs last year. We did Atlanta, New York, Philly, Boston, and Hartford. And when we were in Philly, we videoed one of the members. I think their son was around 11, maybe something like that. And so I'm down there talking to him, getting him ready. I get him to breathe. And then boom, then we walk. And when he gets to the end, you ought to see the look at the kid's face. It's just spectacular. It's just so magical. And, you know, when you do something like that for a kid, they're never going to forget that. So it's never. so, you know, it just affects their self-worth and their self-esteem and, and their self-confidence. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. I'm thinking of, you know, so many times because I owned health clubs, you would see people for the first time do a pull-up or a push-up or something they never could do before. And I'm thinking how they celebrated then. I yeah. can't even imagine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're able like, oh, my God, I never thought I could ever do X amount of pushups or pull something they've always wanted to do. And right. it translates into everything else in their life. Absolutely. You're taking that like up a thousand times. It, it, absolutely. You are because, you know, you're doing something where your brain's creating fight or flight which is a little different than a pull-up, right? Yeah. So your yeah. brain's going, you know, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. Because when it's your moment and you look down and you see those coals on that lane and they're glowing bright red and you can feel the heat coming off the wheelbarrow. Mayday, mayday. It's like, it's got, get out, warning, warning, <laughs> Will Robinson, right? Get out. And then all of a sudden, boom, you go. And then you get to the end and you celebrate. And that's the beauty. That's, that's the magic. And that's why I got into this. When I did my first firewalk in 1995, I resisted the whole way. I'm like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. I want to go see Tony. I want to go to his event, but I'm just going to step aside when this whole firewalk yeah. nonsense takes over. 
Well, I, you know, so when I went there, I went and hid in the back, right? Because you go out there, I had 3,500 people there. And, yeah. uh, you know, when Tony gets everybody what's ready, you're in the room. He, I was in a room for 10 hours with him. And I think we started at two and then it's after midnight. And all of a sudden, Tony goes, take your shoes off. And I remember thinking, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, pal. Uh-uh. I know where you're going with that. We're not tricking me, pal. And then the next thing I know, everybody's taking their shoes off. Well, I've already made a decision. I'm not doing it, but I've got a dilemma. Because if I don't take my shoes off and walk out there with 3,500 people, they're going to go, oh, look at that guy over there. He's a chicken, you know what? So yeah. I'm like, all right, well, just take your shoes off and fake it. They go hide in the back. You'll be fine. No one's going to know. Well, the next thing I know, Tony gets everybody chanting before we go in out there. Right? In the room, everybody's going, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And I'm like, okay, I don't like this part. And then when, he, when you get outside, right, in this big mm -hmm. parking lot, big fire, like I explained before, uh, he's got African drummers, right? So it's dun, 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 dun. And I'm thinking, oh, my, what a dog and pony show this is, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm staying with my plan. I'm out. I'm going to go hide in the back. Well, Robbins knows this is one of the most life-changing experiences anybody's ever going to go through. He knows that. That's why he brought it into his events, why he does it on day one of a four-day event. He gets yeah. leverage. Because if he can conquer you with your fears and the things that have held you back in life, then he can move you forward. And he knows it. But he also knows there's people like me that are going to hide in the back. So what's he do? He trains the back. People. Well, he <laughs> trains people to come find you. Come find your happy ass, right? Because I'm back there. And all of a sudden, here comes this guy. And he comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he gets like 20. And he locks eyes with me. He must teach him that, too. Right. Hey, when you make when you make eye contact with these people, don't take your eyes off. This guy coming at me gets 20 feet from me and he kind of looks at me odd. Right. Like, a, you know, tilts his head like a dog that hears a funny noise. And he says and this guy goes, are you OK? And when we're not OK, what do we say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good here, man. Nothing to see. Move along. We're good here. And all of a sudden this guy goes, he says, uh, hey, are you going to walk tonight? And I'm like, absolutely not. Right. Said it with that kind of a tone. Right. I'm not doing this. No, I thought you were going to fib. I thought you would say, sure, 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 sure. It, well, but here's here's what's cool. So here's this, this. This guy's a stranger to this day. I have no idea who this guy is. But without him, guess what? I'm not with Sandy Weston on her podcast. Yeah, that's for sure. Because the question he asked me was, well, when I told him that I wasn't going to do it, he said, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I thought, well, yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. Let's, that's that's the shot. That'll be fun. Let's go watch these people burn their feet off. And he said, well, listen, man, you can't see anything from back here. And he's telling the truth. I'm, I'm 100 yards from where they're yeah, actually walking, yeah. right? Now, I'm out there. People are chanting. They're clapping their hands. Yes, the drums are going off. People are already walking. They're getting into the celebration end. They're screaming and yelling and celebrating. I mean, this is unlike anything you've ever experienced in your life, Sandy. This is a dog and pony show of the up, upness like you've never yeah. seen. Yeah. And so, so I said, okay, well, fine. I, to get, I do want to see it. So I get in line and I'm kind of walking along and all of a sudden this guy comes up to me and he says, and he whispers in my ear, he said, he knows when you're ready. When he says, go, you go. And then pew, this guy just disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what the hell was that? Who was that? What was that about? Well, so now I'm just kind of walking along. It's really intense. And, I, and again, I got hundreds of people in front of me. I can't see anything. But I get to an angle, and now I can see at an angle. And guess what? They're doing it. Yeah. Every race, every creed, every color, 
I mean, they're walking on fire. And now my brain's going, why? What are they doing this for? Metaphorically, you know, what's the leverage here? Why are they doing this? I don't get it. And so now I'm mesmerized. I can't take my eyes off it. It's like, you know, you drive by a, a, an auto accident, right? You're not supposed to look at it, right? What do we do? Yeah. We stare at it, right? Well, that's what I'm doing. I'm mesmerized by these people walking on fire and I'm just, I'm losing it. And I'm just staring at it. And, and I'm walking along and I'm walking along and boom, guess where I am? I'm at the front of the line. And now I'm, I'm feeling what I talked about a while ago. I'm looking down at this lane. It's three feet wide. It's 18 feet long. It's covered with red coals. They're bright red. The wheelbarrow's there. I can feel all the heat coming off. And I'm staring into the abyss. And I feel like my chest, my heart's going to pound out of my chest. And mm. so I'm scared to death. And there's a trainer standing there. And all of a sudden he goes, eyes up. Like, you idiot. Right? And so I bring my eyes up. Well, I was in a room with Tony for 10 hours. Guess what he teaches you to do? Keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes focused on the end, on the, on the celebration end. That's where the prize is. So now my eyes up and the trainer goes, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I went, yes. Well, he could tell. He knew. Yeah. He knew I was leaving a lot on the table. He could tell I wasn't in a peak state. And so he screamed at me. And so when he did that, I, I threw my hands in the air. I screamed at the top of my lungs, yes. And the trainer goes, go, go, go. Boo. I took off. Well, well, well. Here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. I think we all learn it this way. <laughs> when you take the first step, oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. You don't stop. Right? Well, Tony positions two people at the end of the fire lane. They lock arms and they catch you. And they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. So I'm kind of wiping my feet and I'm celebrating. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing that I just walked on fire. I look back, coals are a thousand degrees. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me. I can feel it. I burnt myself really bad. And so I look at my right foot, I pull it up, and it's dirty, Sandy, but there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. I look at it, it's dirty, but there's no burns. And so now I'm standing in the celebration end with hundreds and hundreds of people, and we're all pretty much experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Absolute, total exhilaration. We're all, you know, you've got that thought, I can do whatever, I can do anything. I can climb Mount Everest. I can get married. I can have kids. I can start, start my own business. Yeah. I mean, it's just flowing through your brain. Well, that's wonderful. That moment's incredible. But here's where it got interesting for me. The next day, right? Because this is a four-day event. This mm -hmm. is day one, the night of day one. We're coming into day two, 3,500 people standing in a foyer getting ready to go into the venue. And I've never seen or witnessed anything like this in my life. People were getting along humanistically. It was just beautiful. It was gorgeous, you know, because people are laughing and, th and they're crying, literally. They're yeah. talking, they're hugging, they're communicating humanistically, unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire life. And Tony's got them. He knows that's day. That's how they're coming into day two. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Yeah. Right. So, so later on in the event, I met one of Tony's trainers, a guy by the name of Ted Macy, sweet guy, him and his wife, Mary, both trainers for Tony. So I'm talking to him and I'm like, so Ted, this must be really awesome to be in this environment on a regular basis. And he goes, oh yeah. He said, it is, it is incredible to be around this kind of energy and, you know, belief systems and it's magical. Um, 
And he said, matter of fact, you see all those people standing over there with those black shirts with the pink writing on them? Yeah, because they're volunteers. They're just like you. They're people that came, experienced the firewalk, and wanted to come back and give back. He said, so if you're interested in that, man, just when you get home, call Robin's Research. Ask him for, ah. for a crew application. They'll send it to you. Fill it out, send it back. Who knows? Well, I did that. And seven weeks after I did that, I got a letter in the mail. And it said, Dave Albin, congratulations. You've been selected to crew with the Anthony Robbins companies in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Well, there it was. My foot was in the door. <laughs> and I just fell in love with it. There was something magical about the firewalk in and of itself. And I wanted yeah. to know more. I wanted to learn more. And so I did. Uh, shortly after I became a crew, a crew member, I think I crewed five or six times. And because I had a military and a security background, they offered me a position um, as a subcontractor to help take care of Tony's celebrities. So that happened, right? So I used to have to pay my way. As a volunteer, you got to pay your own airfare, hotel, food, all of that. Well, when I became a subcontractor, they paid for all that. Okay, so instead of, I got you. Right? Instead of paying two grand, now yeah. it doesn't cost me anything. And then they put me on the fire team. And that, that's where I, I was home. I just loved all of it. You know, all the planning and the logistics and, you know, what kind of wood and what to do and how to do it. It was just beautiful. Well, so I got, I got put into a position there as the assistant fire captain in like 96 well, in 2003, Tony offered me the captain's position, and um, which is where I took over all of his firewalks globally. Mm -hmm. And in the negotiations, he even paid to have my kids and my family travel with me. In fact, my first, my first event with the family in tow uh, was Sydney, Australia, where, uh, you know, my daughter was wow. like, my daughter was like six. My son was nine-ish. That's when they did their first firewalk. They were, that was their ages. And then, I mean, so now you can't even imagine what that's like to be on the road, Tony Robbins, fire captain, helping with security, doing the logistics. It was, it was pretty freaking awesome. That was in 03. In 05, 2005, we went to London. We set a world record. We firewalked 12,300 people. Um, in fact, Tony was just back in London, or it wasn't in London, he was in Birmingham, uh, in the UK this last weekend, where they firewalked uh, 10,000 people. Um, so we did that 12,300 people. Now I want to disclose something, Sandy, Guinness was not there, you know, so we don't have yeah. it documented, but to the best of my knowledge, that's the largest yeah. firewalk yeah. that's ever taken place yeah. anywhere in the world. The only thing that will come close to that is another Tony Robbins seminar. Um, and then in, then 2014, my life took another twist and that is Google reached out to me and wanted to hire me. And they're like, Hey, you know, if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete, We'd like to talk to you about hiring you. I'm like, well, look, homeboy's a free agent. What you got going on? And so when we started talking about the firewalk, they wanted to do an event in the middle of the day. They had 148 executives that were graduating. And they knew. They did their research. Google knows. They wanted to create a really impactful experience to anchor in this nine-month curriculum that those executives had gone through. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, well, look, we can't do the firewalk in the middle of the day. I have to be able to see the color of the coals. It's a safety issue. I, I, there's no negotiation there. I won't do it. However, I could do a glass walk, and that's where we show you how to walk on broken glass. And they're like, what? Oh, yeah, okay, tell us about that. And so uh, I did. And so we ended up doing uh, two glass walks for Google. But in 2014, that's when the light bulb went off. I realized there was a huge marketplace 
uh, mm. for these life-changing paradigm shift experiences. And so here we are. Um, shortly after Google, we went to NASA, we went to Notre Dame, we went to mm. Virginia Tech, we went to Heineken, Microsoft, Remax, Chick-fil-A, the Entrepreneur Organization, you know, EO. We did five gigs for them last year, which was phenomenal. Uh, New York, Philly, Boston, Hartford, and New York. Uh, we just booked uh, EO South Florida for January of 2024. And um, so we incorporate all of those experiences. And, you know, it's been an unbelievable ride. Dave, 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 Dave. I have so much to unpack there, but good for you, man. Good for you. Yeah, thank you. You know, very blessed. I'm especially, you know, I'm looking at the background and how you came to Tony, and then it was just just kept going and going and going and going. Yeah. But I want to back up just a little bit because my curiosity is what got you there in the first place to a Tony Robbins event? Because you said, okay, I'm not into this fire stuff, but I want to see Tony. Gotcha. All right. So um, when I was five years old, when I, well, let me back up. When I, two months before I was born, um, uh, uh, my biological father, who was, um, a pilot in Korea, um, something happened to him. We don't know. And he, and they, and, and they had to put a plate in his head to save his life. Well, it also took his life because two months before I was born, he complained about the pain all the time. He told my mom, he didn't know how much longer he could take it. And one day he told her he was going to the grocery store and we never saw or heard from him again. And so I was born to a single mom at that point in Hollywood, California. Mom was working up the street at the Roosevelt hotel as a server, she already had two boys. Then he had me. I'm the third. Yeah. And we were, and we were living with her mom, my grandmother and another cousin. So there were six of us living in a one bedroom apartment right across the street from Hollywood high school. And so when I was five, she just couldn't do it anymore. And so her sister, my aunt, my aunt, um, uh, adopted me at the age of five and her husband, Bob was, a you know, he, he was a, uh, a officer in the military, in the army, and the national guard. Uh, you know, he served in 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 the war, World War II, fighting the Germans in in, in Europe. Um, he they both swore off drinking at five years old when they when they adopted. When I was eleven, um, the literally the first day of summer, when I was eleven years old, uh, they set me down that morning and said, "Hey, David, we need to talk to you." Well, I th I'm thinking they're going to tell me where we're going camping. Because we did that a lot. We're in Southern California, yeah. right? Long Beach. So we were, oh, we're going to Big Bear, Lake Arrowhead, Yosemite. You know, we're going somewhere, right? Well, when they sent me down that morning and my mom puts her arm, her hand on my arm. And with tears in her eyes, she goes, David, we need to tell you something. And she said, we're not your parents. Well, what? What the hell does that mean? What do you mean you're not my parents? Of course you're my parents. No, actually, we're your aunt and uncle. You know your aunt Dean? Yeah. She's actually your biological mother. She's the one that gave birth to you. And you know what, Sam, I remember thinking, I don't even like her, right? And you know why I didn't like her? Because every time she was around me, she had to sit by me and touch me and kiss me and hug me. I mean, she never touched me inappropriately. It was no, always, I know what you mean. Yeah. right? I'm her son. And I didn't know that. So anytime she could be around me, she wanted to be affectionate. Yeah. So there it was. Well, right after they told me this, and by the way, we're, my dad's in the military, right? He's an officer in the, in the army. 
yeah. he had worked in the Pentagon. Well, that in the on November of 1963, before the summer of 64, Kennedy had been assassinated. Right. So the Bay of Pigs was going on the Cuban Missile Crisis. There was a lot going on in this country at that time. And my dad, I mean, I don't know. I'm not making excuses. All as I know is after they told me they that I was adopted, they both started drinking. And it got ugly real fast. Bob Alvin, great guy, but when he was drinking, not so much. Uh, same thing with Pat. She wasn't as mean, as nasty as Bob was, but it was still ugly. And so they they went to the grocery store one day and I was home, which they did back in the 50s and 60s, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, I went over to the cabinet. They hid the booze in plain sight. It was brandy, big old half gallon. I went over, took a coffee cup, filled it up halfway, boom, downed it at 11 years old. What's wrong with me, right? Um, and I didn't have a chance. I truly believe I was an alcohol right there on the spot. Yep. Because I wanted more. I started thinking about hiding it and stealing it. I mean, you know, I didn't think normal. Right? Yeah. That old saying, yeah. once too many, a thousand is not enough, right? Well, that just continued. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the time I got to high school, the, the like, like the first month, of my junior year, they pulled me into the principal's office and said, you're out. We're done with you. So I was. There, there I went, out into the streets. Um, three marriages later, uh, and a whole bunch of drugs, including heroin and cocaine and alcohol and cigarettes and just, you know, lots of stupid mistakes. I woke up on June 8th, 88, and said, that's it. I'm done. I am not doing this anymore. And mm -hmm. so my first thought was put a bullet in your head because if you do that, then the pain will stop. Because I was in horrible physical and mental pain. That's, anguish, I understand. Yeah. Right? That was horrible. Yeah. So put a bullet in your head, right? Well, then all of a sudden I thought I'm married to a woman who's got three kids or my stepkids. And I'm going, you can't do that. You're going to kill those kids when you kill yourself. They're the ones that are going to have to suffer. Um, and so you can't do that. You got to find another way. And so the next thing I know, I've got the thought in my head is call AA. Mm. Well, but Sandy, I don't know who AA is at that point in my life. I don't know anybody in AA. I've never been to AA. Never, I don't even remember hearing the word Alcoholics Anonymous. But yet there's the thought in my head. Mm. And I did. I called them. And, and they sent a guy to come pick me up. And he took me. He spent the whole day with me. Uh -huh. I, he got me to a 1230 meeting, a 430, a 630, and an 830. And I went home that night. I didn't take a drink. I white knuckled it because I wanted to every second. And mm. then I went back to a meeting the next day. And then after 30 days, they gave me a little chip. And it said 30 days. And then I got one for two months, three months, six months, nine months and one year. And then, you know, this last June 8th of 2023, I picked up a chip for 35 years. Wow. Well, here's what happened. When, when I was getting sober, I had insomnia. And so I'm up late one night, and there he is. Mr. Motivation himself, Mr. Infomercial, Gunthy Ranker, Tony Robbins, a young Tony Robbins is selling his program, Personal Power. Yeah. <clears throat> and I bought it. Came on little white things called cassette tapes. Oh, I, I had them. You have those? Yeah, little white things. I bet I some of your listeners are going, what are those? <laughs> um, they're in the Smithsonian. They're there. And so, you know, I got the program, Sandy. I plugged it in. I did what the man taught me to do, and it worked. And so your question was, how did I get there, right? Yeah. Well, right after I did that, I loaned the program to a buddy of mine in AA. Um, we got to talk and he's like, what's wrong with you, man? You're always so motivated. 
and you're always talking all this stuff. And I'm just repeating what I'm learning from Tony. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he goes, you know, this is, he goes, he goes, what's going on with you? You look good. You're working out. You lost weight. You started a business. What, what is it with you? And I go, well, I've been listening to this guy named Tony Robbins. He goes, I know Tony is. I read his book. I go, well, I've got his program here, borrow it, take it, use it, give it back to me. And he did. Well, seven years later, this is in 1995 when this is going, excuse me, this is 1988. Yeah, 88, 89, when this is going on with Dan and I. And okay. then seven years later, after he goes through the program too, he calls me on the phone and he said, hey, Tony's coming to town. Did you know? No, I had no clue. He goes, come on, man, you got me into this. We got to go. And I said, I'll go with you. And he said, great, I'll call you back. So he did call me back an hour later and he said, done. Here's what they told us to do. Number one, bring uh, bring snacks. You're going to spend a lot of time in the room. <laughs> what an understatement that was. Uh, uh, hydrate, drink a lot of water, bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? He said, $695. I said, $700? He said, yeah, you can pay me back. Don't worry about it. What's that today? What's 700 today? That was 95. What's that? 7 I million? Know. I don't know. Um, and then he's, he's getting ready to get off the phone, right? He goes, oh, and by the way, we're going to be doing a fire walk. And I remember thinking, oh, hell no. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I want to see Tony, but I'm not going to do no fire walk. That's yeah. not happening. But I'm not saying that to Dan, right? I don't want yeah. him to think I'm a wuss. I'm yeah. like, yeah, sure, Dan. I'm just appeasing him, right? I'm being subservient. Yeah, sure, Dan. Uh, fire walk. Yeah, sounds interesting, bro. Yeah, all right. I'll see you then. And I made a decision right there on the spot. I wasn't going to do it. But then I just told you what, you know, once you get there, yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah. once Tony gets you for 10 hours, you know, there's a good possibility he's going to get you across that fire. <laughs> what about Dan? Was Dan like right up there in the front line, ready to oh, go? He was, yeah, he was with me. Yeah, he, he we kind of separated at that point. He had kind of partnered up. What they do when he's there, he kind of partner up with somebody that you don't know. Oh, and yeah. so he partnered up with some girl, uh, some woman, and then I partnered up with this guy and then I ditched him. Because, you know, it's it's real easy to lose people. You know, you're you're around thousands of people. All you got to do is duck around. And I and I never really engaged with that guy anyway, because I wasn't going to do it. That was a hard no for me. I'm not doing that fear. Yeah. Fear controlled almost everything in my life up until that point. Right. Because for me, the acronym for fear was forget everything and run. Or there's another word for it. Right. Um, and then up until that point, until I made that shift, um, because, you know, the fears we don't overcome become our limits, right? Because what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. And so once you did the firewalk and then you shift it from forget everything and run to face everything and, rock and rise. That's why collectively, that's why that's why Google called me. Yeah. Because they wanted to take a really powerful experience and anchor it in with those executives who were graduating from that curriculum. Same thing. That's why companies hire me. Typically, companies hire me one of three reasons. One, they're doing great and they want to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, you know, things are okay. There's some dissension going on. They're arguing about masks. They're arguing about vaccines. They're arguing about political nonsense. And they need to correct that and get people back to moving together, working yeah. together, and keep production up. Or they call me when the whole damn thing's breaking down and all hell's breaking loose. Um, and they, they want me to save them. Um, and so, you know, I just tell them, look, let the fire do what the fire does. Uh, it, it will work collectively, right? Because it's, it's kind of like a near-death experience. Uh, and I experienced that the next day, right? When I came in at the foyer and we're all standing around, I'm like, look at this. Look at how these people are treating each other. 
such a beautiful, gorgeous thing. So at the end of the day, you know, most corporations, they get it. CEOs and entrepreneurs and business owners, they know, you know, because what, they have a very daunting task. Their job is to keep people inspired, keep people motivated. How do you do that? Well, they, they hire a guy like me and we come out. I spend a few hours with them and turn them back over and everything shifts. Okay. So, Dave. Sorry, Sandy. Dave. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Sorry for what? This is awesome. All right. So when you do your program and you said it lasts X amount of hours and is it always after dark, right? You said it has to yes. be like nine, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Typically we do it, you know, just as the sun goes down. Um, that way it's, you know, it's okay. kind of a twilight thing going on. It's really beautiful at that point. So they do that. Then afterwards, do they usually, does the company have a program after that already planned? There could be, um, you know, yeah, some of them do. Um, Some of them just, you know, want me to do my thing for three hours with them. So here's what I've done. So Tony just does the firewalk. Well, I added the board break experience to the firewalk and here's why it's a martial arts move, right? Any, any listener that's ever been at a dojo, right? You get a new belt, you break a board with your hand. So that's what we do. But I, what I do is I take the board and I have them write something on front of the board they want to move towards. I have them write something on the back of the board they need to move away from. And then I have them write anybody's name on the board that they're in conflict with. Ooh, I love it. Right? So if there's forgiveness or reconciliation within that relationship, put their name on the board. It ends tonight. Stop carrying that shit around. And then the, to, to create the rite of passage, because that's... If we go back and study firewalking, it's been around a thousand years as a rite of passage. So to create that, I have them write anybody's name on the board that they've lost. Somebody that they love, somebody that they miss, bring their energy to the firewalk. That creates an ancestral side of, yeah. of the rite of passage. So then they break the board. We go out to the fire. They do the firewalk. We circle them back. They, they throw the board in the fire. They get pictures and video of all that so that they can have that and look at that for the rest of your life, right? So now you're taking the powerful board break experience with all those exercises, turn it, turning that over and in, in, in completing it with the firewalk, and then again, throwing it into the fire to release and ignite. And then there's something else I do with the fire after that that's super, super powerful. Uh, it's proprietary. And, you know, I'll, I talk to any client about that during our discovery call. Now, with the glass walk, right? Because sometimes fire walking is, is not always logistically possible. We get right, that. You said it has to be at night. I get Gotta it. be at night, right? Gotta, got, you know, just again, just depends on time and all that. So we have the glass walk experience. Well, to, to make that a double whammy, create the double experience, we do the arrow break. Right? This one is probably gonna bar, bother you. That's where you put the arrow here in the soft spot of your neck. You put the arrow up against the wall. You write something on a post-it note you want to move towards. You stick the fletching in up on that post-it note. Then you step through and you break the arrow. So we combine those two experiences, the arrow break and the glass walk. And that creates a super, super power, <laughs> powerful afternoon, if you will. <laughs> Back, we, did, we did EO in Hartford. Uh, we, did, we, we did the glass walk up there. Did you? With the yeah. arrow? Oh yeah, with uh, uh, they, we didn't really have time to do the arrow, um, but we did the glass walk, and they they love it. When you walk it on glass, if you've ever cut yourself, trust me, 
when you when you do the glass walk, it's going to scare the you know what out of you. But it's like anything else. Never a doubt in my mind. Dave. There's a strategy for everything. And you know what I do? I really screw with my with my participants, and I'm going to disclose it right here. So when I'm on stage and I'm go- doing my dog and pony show and talking to them and doing talking motivation and inspiration and all that and how to fire walk and how to do this, I put a picture of a guy on the screen behind me. It's a it's a guy by the name of Eric Weinmeyer, and and you can tell where he's standing, or at least you got a pretty good guess, right? He's standing at the top of Mount Everest. So I'm talking along. I talk for about 30 minutes and then I go, so who, who here can tell me where, where my buddy Eric is standing and the raise, guy raises his hand. Yeah. What, what, what's your guess? Mount Everest. Yes, sir. You would be correct. Now let me tell you something else about Eric. He's climbed the seven highest mountains on earth, seven continents, right? Seven mountains and put that boy on a mountain bike. I'm telling you what, he will tear it up, put him in a kayak. He can, he can negotiate just about any river in the world. But here's full disclosure about Eric. A little something I want you to know about him. And that is, he's blind. Mm. So shut up. I don't want to hear it. Whatever excuse you have is bullshit. So stop it. Knock it off. Because the only reason you don't have everything you want in your life is because you've made up a story about why you can't have it and some BS limitation that doesn't exist. (laughs) If a blind man can climb the seven highest mountains on earth, and I'm telling you this to screw with your head, the next time you tell yourself you can't do something, you know, just, just remember there's a guy, he's blind as a bat. And and you know what? He, he went blind, I think at seven. So he had sight up until seven years old. Um, so, you know, I tell people all the time, stop negotiating with yourself. Come on. If you say you're going to get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and work out, damn it, do it. Stop negotiating with yourself. Um, well, Dave, I'm glad you ease them into it. You know, I do. I'm like, I'm real gentle and, you know, oh, you're going to be a, nah, you know, people aren't fragile. I don't treat them that way. I'm just going to rock their world because here's the thing, Sandy, you know, this, your listeners know this, everything's a pattern. Everything we do, and if once you understand how patterns work, good or bad for you or against you, and you get control of that, oh my God, I you agree. can change your life immensely. I, <laughs> Dave, I just need to know before okay. this and before you worked for Tony, what did you do? Uh, you mean like to put bread on the table? You know, feed the family. Yeah, yeah. So I owned an alarm company. I was an entrepreneur. I mean, I started my entrepreneurship wait at a minute, young age. Wait a minute. Back yeah. up. Hold yeah. on. So you were functioning even though you were doing all that stuff as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I owned an alarm company. I was one of the very first family-owned and operated ADT dealers in America. We we that when ADT put their program out there to give out free alarm systems back in the day, I was one yeah. of the very first family-owned businesses they cut a deal with. And so we got to go knock on doors and say, hey, my name's Dave. I'm with ADT. How'd you like a free alarm system? If there was no catch. They go, what? What do you mean free? Yeah, okay. That's all they needed to ask. me. So yeah, so I was out there doing that. But I mean, again, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. My, my first job job as an entrepreneur, I sold flowers on a street corner. My mother, Pat Albin, who adopted me, right? My aunt, I'm going to call her mom because she really was. 
uh, she grew beautiful flowers in the backyard of Southern California in Long Beach, right? And she would grow them and she would cut them and she cut them at an angle for me. And then she'd arrange them because she had a beautiful eye for color. And then she'd put them in a bucket, like 10 or 12 different, you know, bouquets. She put a little bit of seven up in the water. That's a trick. Wait a minute. Yeah, there I'm you go. Gardener. I got to put that down. Seven up. Yeah, just a splash, and that sugar gets up into that flower, and, it, and it'll last double as long. Wow. They give you the little, they give you the little packets at florist now, but Damn. back in the day, that's all you had to do. Yeah. So she'd send me out onto the street corner, and I'd sell my flowers. Um, I also had a paper route, so you know, I was kind of my own little business entrepreneur you're with a, a paper hustler. route. Yeah, you're a hustler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. All and right. So I, what did you go ahead? Yeah. Wait. Well, I'll finish by saying I lived across the street from a golf course. So every day I'd get on my Stingray bicycle, I'd go ride the perimeter of the golf course and look for what? Golf balls. And I bring them home, I clean them up, I go back into the parking lot and sell them back to the golfers. Oh boy. Oh boy is right. So what did you do with your business? Once um, you uh, the alarm the alarm the I had, Yeah, I had I actually had three of them. I sold all three of them. Yep. Sure did. And then um and, and then we got to the mortgage crisis, 2000 and what was that 10? I lost everything. I lost everything. I, I, cause I had an alarm business, right. And we were knocking on doors, selling alarm systems. And I came home one Saturday afternoon and my, my wife's sitting on the, on the couch. She's got tears in her eyes with papers on her lap. And she goes, we're out of business. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, literally, David, we're out of business. Our funding company that buy all our contracts, they're not going to buy anything. All four of them shut us down. And we were. I was doing twenty to thirty thousand dollars a month, and we went to zero in one day. Had a little bit of silver, had some gold, had some investments. It wasn't enough. I got my butt kicked. Uh, we lost the farm. We lost the house. Wow. Um, I had a heart attack the day after Michael Jackson died. Um, we, I, you know, my the the marriage didn't survive. My kids and I left Virginia, where our farm was, came to North Carolina, and we started a new life. And literally, and what? And, do, and doing what? And I know you're doing now, but what did you do when oh, you first so got? So when I when I we lost everything, and I I had you know enough money to get to North Carolina to live close to family. I had enough money to live on for a few months. Um, I literally became one of the very first Uber drivers in the state of North Carolina. Oh my god! I loved it because I was like an independent contractor. I could go and work and do what I want. I could work 24 when you seven want, you, where you want, when I want. And literally that was part of the whole process of me starting firewalk productions. I was literally Ubering one night and it was four o'clock in the morning. I'm parked by a Panera bread. I'm tapped into their, their Wi-Fi. Sorry, Panera bread, but you know, I did eat there. So I had your code. Um, and yeah, that's when I went, you know what, Alvin, you're the number one firewalk instructor in the world. Nobody's done this at the level that you have. And, we, and there's a huge marketplace out there and you got to keep driving. And so it was just things like that that started. I started thinking and I started putting that out there and I started serving it with intention and boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, and though I was doing events for Tony on a part time basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But when Google called me and they said, hey, are you the Dave Albin that does the firewalk for Robbins? Yeah. What do you what's up? Well, if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete, we'd like to talk to you about hiring. Okay, well, homeboy's a free agent. What you got? And that's really when the light bulb went off. I knew. I knew there was a huge, huge marketplace for paradigm shift experiences like this at the corporate level. 
And so even after that here last year, a buddy of mine, great entrepreneur, beautiful guy, he came to me, he wrote a book and I was out at his house with the book launch. And he said, Hey, have you ever thought about starting an academy where you train people to do this? Oh, I said, yeah. yeah, I got I've, it. I've thought about it. And he goes, dude, come on, I'll help you do it. Let's do this. And uh, so we did. And basically, I bring in nine students at a time. There's a reason for nine that I explain at the academy. And then I teach them everything I know. So they could literally come to me with nothing, not knowing anything. And when they graduate and leave, they can go facilitate and create these wow. incredible paradigm shift experiences. In fact, you know, at the end of the broadcast here, let me know. I'll give you a code. And if you have just now because look at we got like five minutes. I was okay. like, wait a minute, where'd the time go? I looked up. I'm like, holy moly. Sorry. Uh, so yeah. So um, don't say sorry. Go to my go to my uh, go it. to my um, my website. It's um, firewalkadventures.com. Okay. There's a tab at the top that says Academy. Click on okay. that. Book a discovery call. Let's make sure this is the right thing for you to be doing. It's a good fit for you. And then if you do decide you want to do it, give me the code for being on Sandy's show, 6828. 6828. And if you give me that code, I'll give you a special discount. Cool. So, Dave, how many of like Firewalk Adventures do you want to do a year? And how much do you want to travel? Do you have like, okay, this would be great. I want to do this amount. I want to do this many local, this many. Overseas. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable doing a couple of events a month. Okay. And I'm more, and I'm more comfortable though, training a team of people because my pricing is going to be one price. And if a cut, you know, and a lot of my clients call and they don't care. They, they need me. There's a meltdown. It needs to be fixed. They'll write me a check, right? Because they want me to come show up and take care of everything. However, yeah. with the academy, if I have a client goes, look, I can't afford that. Well, what can you afford? What's your budget? Well, I can, I can, I can afford this. Okay. Gotcha. Well, where do you live? Okay, great. Well, I had a guy that just graduated in Atlanta. He's down there. He or she can do it for you. I'll coordinate with them. I'll help, you know, I'll help, you know, with the, with the logistics and all that. And they can make it happen. So that's what's going to happen with the graduates from the academy. Yeah, I like that. That's it. That's a good idea. Yeah. All right, too. Dave. Well, I could talk to you forever. I love this stuff. Such a fan. But I love the quote at the top of your website that I saw. Uh oh. Stop looking for heroes and be one. That's one of my freaking favorites. I love that. Stop looking for heroes and be one. Like, yeah. And I've always said, you know, you are your own hero. So that's freaking awesome. But besides that, is there anything we didn't get in that you want to say to my let's keep it real people? Yeah, you want to change your life? Change your story. Create a new story. Again, stop negotiating with yourself and, and create your regimen. Like when I get up every morning, what do I do? I drink, I drink mountain water. I take my shower. I take a cold shower every single morning. Of course you do. Of course I do. It's mountain water. It's cold. <laughs> it's not tap water in Chicago. Um, you know, I take care of myself nutritionally. Um, I believe that we're, you know, the two most important times in somebody's life is the moment they're born and the moment they figure out why. And I also believe one of my mentors told me one time, he said, you know, every human has two lives. And the second one starts when you realize you have only one. And with mm -hmm. that, I'm out. 
I love that. All right, my let's keep it real. I think you're going to say, Sandy, Dave really kept it real. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.